Thanks so much for joining us at Vive Church for our podcast. If you have a story to share about what God's doing in your life or how this ministry has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at mystory@vivechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Hey, I, I'm just expecting. I'm just kind of just hanging in the in the zone for a moment because I just feel the Spirit of God here to set people free today. And I do believe, I've got, I've got a high expectancy. I really do believe that God has got a Word that is specific for some people here. And my hope is that you came ready. My, my hope is that even if you didn't come ready, that maybe now you'll take a moment to just ready your hearts to believe that God doesn't just want to speak to your spouse, that maybe God wants to speak to you, that maybe God wants to speak into your business, that maybe God wants to speak into your family, that maybe God wants to speak into the very circumstance that you're facing right now. He can do it. He can do it and He will, but you hold the key. You hold the key to unlocking exactly what God wants to do in your life. So God, I position our hearts right now. Let defences come down. Let those barriers, those pretensions, those things that block, God, I pray that they would be broken down right now in your presence, that your people might receive what it is you want to speak to us. Fill us, we pray in your name. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles real quick as you stay standing? I want to welcome all of our locations, San Jose, Palo Alto and online and here in Palo Alto. I want to just do something while we stand as one church all over the Bay Area. I want to read a passage of Scripture that is really going to set the tone and in many ways has been setting the tone of this series, a series that we're in called The Devil Don't Know. And, and today is the last instalment of the series. Don't look so sad. We'll preach something good next week as well. Don't worry about that. But how many people have been blessed by the Gospel of John over this series? That's good to know. That's good to know. Well, I want to read it for the, for the last time in this series John chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now pay close attention to these next few verses, because this is kind of where we're going to camp today and focus our time. It says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's desire, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. How many people just love that passage right there? I feel like that one could just preach itself today. Let's just close our Bibles, go home. We're full. Thank you, Jesus. I'm excited for what God wants to do. I'm excited for the Word. I feel like God's going to stir something in your hearts. I'm fully expecting and I'm fully ready. And we started this series with a sermon called The Devil Don't Know. 
It was like the title track for the, for the series, The Devil Don't Know. That in week two, we discovered where the devil don't go. How many people enjoyed that? That sermon as well. And last week, Pastor Vance preached a sermon, What the Devil Can't Grow. He did a good job too. Today, I wanna preach in the final instalment in this series, a sermon that I've entitled, This Ain't the Devil's Show. I'm so appreciative that you like that. Man, that blesses me that you really like that. That is good. Makes me, makes me happy, makes me happy. Hey, would you do something as you get ready for the Word of God in the spirit of thanksgiving? Pretend like your neighbour is a long lost family member. Hug them, welcome them to church. Tell them it's great to be sitting next to them and then you can take your seat. In fact, do it for seven people. Would you find seven people around you and hug them like their family? Come on, seven people, seven people. Go for it. San Jose, San Francisco, Palo Alto and online. Welcome whoever you can. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Cass. Thank you, Hal. Amazing, amazing job. All of our worship teams, in fact. Hey, can we give it up for all our worship teams across all of our locations, all around the Bay Area? So we are well and truly in Christmas season right now. If you haven't figured out already, Thanksgiving is done. How many people had a good Thanksgiving? How many people have still got turkey in the fridge? Still Getting that ham in, that's amazing, love it. Four days after, couldn't be better. And uh, we're definitely in in Christmas season, which means you are legally allowed to play Christmas carols right now. Even though my family been playing them for three months straight, doesn't matter, now you can actually officially do it. Have I got anybody like that? You play Christmas carols way too early. So by the time December comes, you're sick of them. Anybody with me? Okay, yeah, you have some of those people. Well, we are definitely in in Christmas season. We cut down our tree as a family yesterday. We love this American tradition of going into the woods and cutting down the Christmas tree. People said, don't you do that in Australia? I said, I don't think we've got pine trees in Australia. I don't know. We've got the beach. We've got that. We've got sand dunes. But but we definitely don't go cutting down nature. We leave nature standing where it is. (laughs) But I do like bringing the outdoors indoors. It's a great experience and we're loving it. In fact... Our whole world right now is in in Christmas preparation. Our office, the Vive HQ, is in Christmas creative, our Vive Christmas creative preparations. We've got, we've got production rehearsals going on. We've got actors in there. It's amazing. I'm so excited for this Christmas creative we've got coming up. You don't even know. Talk about the devil don't know. You don't know. You don't know how good this Christmas creative is going to be. It's going to be amazing. I've had a few little previews already and I have to tell you, this is something you do not want to miss. You want to make sure you get there. I believe we're doing it like in two locations this year. We're doing it in San Francisco on the 11th for our San Francisco campus and in Palo Alto on the 18th and San Jose. You guys are joining us here in Palo Alto. It is going to be a packed house, okay? And so what I believe they've set up, you can register online to make sure you get a seat. We don't want you to miss out. There's going to be overflow. So make sure you register, okay? So if, that's you, if you're going on your phone right now, make sure it's not Instagram. Make sure you're registering for the Vive Christmas Creative. But needless to say, I've been enjoying it because we've been in, there's all these actors happening, all this stuff happening in the, in the office. And, and I'm loving it. It reminded me, in fact, of my acting debut. <laughs> I did it one time. Don't laugh. I did it one time. And... I remember way back when our church, we, we did a Christmas outreach production. It was like a dramatic production called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. That's what it was called. 
How many are old school enough to remember that production? Oh my goodness, look at you. Guys, we're in the 80s serving Jesus. Look at you. And it was fascinating when I think back of it now because the title, it was an outreach like play. It was to outreach, yet the title of the play was pretty intimidating. It was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. You know what I mean? It was like, which, where are you going? That was pretty much what it was saying. And, and I can remember our, our church putting it on. Needless to say, we still... We still packed out the local theatre and we put on all these performances. And, and I was cast in the production. I didn't even audition. They just said, hey, you look the part. And I'm like, what part? And I played the part of a drunk teenager that got dragged to hell. That was, that was the part I looked like. They're like, perfect. That's you. I feel it. Needless to say, I was in the production, did my best, didn't know how to act, no acting experience, no lessons, things, Dad. I just, I just did it myself, did the best I could. And I remember doing the production and at the time, kind of getting dragged off to hell by, by Satan himself in the play. And, and, and Satan was, was definitely depicted as, as a player in the game that was orchestrating circumstances and situations in your life, leading you to the exact place he wanted you so you would make the wrong decision and end up in his camp. At the same time, I can remember distinctly in the production that Jesus was portrayed as the still silent type who for some reason didn't intervene or the way it was portrayed to me at the time was he couldn't intervene. He couldn't. Now, I know that this was just some director's dramatic interpretation of the production. I know that. I know that they've got license and the director can guide any scene any way he wants. He can, he can choose to make it a dramatic scene. He can choose to emphasise different characters. I, I know that. I know he's trying to probably build the drama in the production. Yet, it still caused me to question at the time, why doesn't God act differently in circumstances in our life? If He's able, if He's strong, as the Bible says, as the Bible indicates that God is powerful, why is it that He's not acting differently? And that might have been a question that I asked during the production, yet I feel like it's a question that we often ask in life. We ask all kinds of questions. One question that I feel we often ask is, why doesn't God Act the way we expect Him to. Are you here? Am I speaking to the right church? Anybody else ask that or is it just me? Why doesn't God act the way we expect Him to? Or the way we expected? Why doesn't He act the way He acted in other people's lives? Why doesn't He act the way He is meant to, maybe? And maybe I could just kind of set the premise because I want to talk into that. I want to talk into the expectations that we have in God that He often doesn't meet, if that's okay, if we can talk about that on a Sunday. But, but to do that, I need to kind of set it up with a little bit of a Bible study just for a moment. I need to take you on a little journey through the Bible because we've been studying from John, John's Gospel. And what we know about John's Gospel is John is writing at the end of his life, Granddad John, Grandpa John, who is writing with the premise of really giving a, an articulation and connecting the divinity and the humanity of Jesus and, and really revealing how they're intertwined. Not only is he doing that, he's also giving us a first-hand account of when Jesus stood first on the scene, when he really stepped into his ministry role, when he stepped in at 30 years age, when he landed on the scene and began to do his ministry. And what we have in, in John is, is a, a, a description where he begins to unpack and he begins to reveal Jesus. And in the first nine verses, we see him actually introduce another character, also by the name of John. It's kind of confusing. We've got John talking about John. 
It would be handy if they had different names, but they didn't, okay? The Bible's real, okay? It just t- tells it like it is. So you've got John the disciple talking about John the Baptist who is describing Jesus. Go, go with me, okay? We need to track together. And so John's just giving an account. And the reason he talks about John the Baptist is because John the Baptist was there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry activation. And so he doesn't want to just describe Jesus. He doesn't want to just give an articulation of the divinity and the humanity. He actually wants to give an actual account so you can see that that the devil didn't know. Not only did the devil not know, what we'll see is a lot of people didn't know. They didn't expect Jesus to come in this fashion, the Messiah, let me say, to come in this Fashion. So we have the account here and it says this just after verse 14 that we read our series scripture. It actually says this in verse 15. It says, John testifies concerning him, talking about John the Baptist. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's confusing. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth yet came through Jesus Christ. Stay with me. John the Baptist here at this time was was widely known and highly revered. He was a prophet of righteousness and a messenger of God. He was baptising people by the thousands as he would preach righteousness, as he would preach so boldly, unequivocally, he would, he would not hold back. He was not hesitant in his declaration of righteousness and revealing the, the righteousness of God against the, the sin of, of, of the Pharisees and, and the sin of the people. And, and because of that, the, the, the boldness in which he, he spoke, people were compelled and they, were, they liked it, in fact. People didn't like the, the, the kind of the circular teaching in which the Pharisees would teach in. They would teach in such a way that they would contradict themselves and yet find themselves backed into a corner and just say, well, because. John didn't say, well, because. He had an answer and he had a direct scripture. He would speak on behalf of God and he would preach on righteousness. And the whole premise of his preaching, the whole purpose of his evangelistic message was not to draw people to himself. He made that very clear. In fact, his whole purpose was to simply make a way for the coming Messiah. And this was frustrating the the religious leaders because it was an unorthodox approach. He had tax collectors. He had known sinners, uh, outcasts, people coming to him. And he was baptising and in many ways absolving their sins. It kind of upset the people. The Pharisees said under what? premise do you baptise? He said, I baptise with water, but there is one coming who will baptise with fire. He says, I simply make a way for the one. Make a way for the one. Then what we see in verse 29 of chapter 1 is we, we get a first-hand experience of John the Baptist receiving the revelation that Jesus is the actual Messiah. Check it out. It says this in verse 29. Then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. I did not recognise him as the Messiah, but I have been baptising with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. 
But when God sent me to baptise with water, He told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who I'll baptise with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that He is the chosen one of God. John's ministry had been had been kind of characterised and the purpose of his ministry had many, many ways been characterised by preparing the way for the one. And now as the Holy Spirit reveals it, He reveals that, that the one is none other than Jesus. John didn't know. He didn't know. The Bible is not saying that he didn't know who Jesus was because if you know Scripture at all, because we don't know about Bible study right now, but if you didn't know Scripture at all, you would know that, that Jesus' mother Mary was actually the cousin of Elizabeth that was John the Baptist's mother. So in many ways, they're actually related. They would have known each other. 30 years they'd known each other, but John didn't know. He knew Jesus. He didn't know He was the one. He hadn't made the connection between the humanity and the divinity yet. He, he didn't know. The devil didn't know. The devil surely didn't know. And, but, but here we've got John the Baptist. He didn't know either. But what we have got is we've got a, a, a Scripture that, that reveals to us that upon John the Baptist, the revelation and, and seeing for the first time that Jesus, Jesus whom He's known, Jesus the carpenter, Jesus Mary's son, Jesus from, 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 from Gal, Jesus, Jesus is the one who is the very Messiah. And upon His revelation comes a declaration that He is Lord. Previously, he didn't know. There are people in your world that have heard about Jesus. They've known your Jesus, but they don't know. They don't know that the Jesus that's your Jesus, the very Messiah is the very one that holds hope for them, that has grace for their sins, that loves them as they are and has forgiveness and a plan and a purpose for their life. They don't know. They don't know. But I love it upon knowing and upon the revelation becomes a declaration. I wonder what it would look like in our life if our revelation made it to declaration over our life. Oh, help me out. I wonder what it would look like if the revelation of who Jesus is became a declaration over our circumstances. I wonder if the revelation that, that He is Lord, that He is El Shaddai, God Almighty, that He is Jehovah Jireh, God Provider, if He was Emmanuel, God with us. What if that understanding or that revelation became a declaration over our family, over our finances, over every circumstance that we face? Imagine what that would look like. Maybe a church unstoppable. So here we got John. He steps into the revelation. He Previously didn't know, but now he knows. And, and maybe we could just cut him some slack because the Bible actually indicates that Jesus' own half-brothers didn't even know. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they believed. They're like, okay, he raised from the dead. He must be Messiah. Let's believe. But before they didn't know, they didn't believe. Imagine convincing your brothers. <laughs> but they didn't know. And so we can cut John a little bit of slack, but I want to track with John just a little bit further. I'm trying to set us up for where we want to go this morning knowing this ain't the devil's show. And, and if we can just track with John, what we'll find in Scripture is that as you track with his life, you'll see that John the Baptist wasn't afraid of nobody. He was bold. He, he knew his purpose. He, he knew that he was on a mission. He was making a way and he was preparing the way. And now the Messiah has come. And because the Messiah is here, he's even more bold. He's like, well, I don't even have to talk about it. He's here. He is the one. 
He is none other than the Lamb of God here to take away the sins of the world. He's here to change the system. So his boldness increases, in fact, so much so that he begins to speak about Herod at that time, who was a ruler, and, and he was unhappy with Herod's lifestyle, his immoral lifestyle. He, Herod pretty much took his brother's wife and made him his own wife. And, and of course, because we've got John the Baptist, who is a, a prophet of righteousness, he publicly begins to, to talk about this immoral living and how it's not acceptable to God. And, and as a result, Herod puts him in prison. Too afraid to execute him because the people revered John. They, they liked John. And so he put him in prison. And here we've got John the Baptist who had now had a following who had baptizing thousands. People knew him everywhere. The influence was incredible. He was leading city officials. He, he was persuading policy. He, he was affecting the city and the, the known world at that time. John was an influencer and now things were coming to a head. He'd revealed Jesus and, and here we've got his expectations uh, somewhat being challenged because now he's in prison. And there's a good indication as to why he's expectations might have been challenged because he didn't have the privilege of seeing the gospel like we see it. He didn't have all the gospels ready and finished. He hadn't seen the resurrection. He, he didn't see the crucifixion yet. He, he didn't know. He didn't know. He was expecting that like many people in that time or what they were praying for was, was a Messiah that would come and over, overthrow Roman rule. That was their perspective. That as the Messiah comes, this is who we're waiting for. We've been under oppression. Our whole nation have been under oppression by, by the Romans and by, by every other kind of nation and under, under religious rule. And, and here comes the one who's going to overthrow the Roman government and, and establish a, a new Israel government. And, and the Jews are going to rise. And this is what they were believing for and hoping for, yet he's in prison. So there are some expectations that are unmet. And if this was a little marriage seminar, what I'd be preaching right now is that often conflict in life or conflict in marriage, because it'd be a marriage seminar, often doesn't come from unrealistic expectations. It comes more from unmet ones. Your expectations don't even have to be that unrealistic. They simply have to be unmet. And what it does is it causes conflict and confusion. His, his expectations weren't unrealistic. That was what everyone expected. But yet they're... Unmet. And you see, John, he certainly had some misplaced expectations. He, he just identified and revealed Jesus, the Messiah, and as a result, we would have expected the whole system to change overnight. Surely if he is the one, everything would change. Yet things got worse. How many people know that when you come to Christ, not everything gets better? I know this is not encouraging preaching, but it's the truth. I know you'd prefer me just to say, hey, come to Jesus. Your whole life will get better. But, you know, in my experience, some things get tougher. It's the case for John, who was hoping that Messiah was going to change everything. And now he's in prison and has the threat of execution. So what we see here in Luke chapter 7 is something really interesting. Are you still with me? What we see is in Luke chapter 7, John in his confusion about the circumstance that he's facing and with somewhat of a tone of frustration, he sends a message to Jesus. Check it out. Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says, John's disciples told him about all these things, all the things that Jesus was doing. 
Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? (laughs) When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist told us to ask you, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? For John, here we've got a situation. What was revelation is now a question. And this is often how it happens in our life when, when we're so con- we've got a deep conviction of our calling. We've got a deep conviction of who Jesus is. We've got a deep conviction of the revelation about our life until circumstance changes and situations happen. And then everything that we were convicted about becomes a question in our life. And so what we've got here is the same with John. John who was so bold. John who was so, 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 so unashamed. John who was so vocal is now in threat of execution. And he's wondering, where did I get it wrong? And he sends two of his own disciples to Jesus and just asks the question, are you the one? Or should we just hang out for another? Maybe you've never put it like that, but I'm sure you've prayed a similar prayer in a circumstance in your life. I know I have. You sure you got this right, God? That's kind of how it goes. You sure that I made that? You sure? It doesn't look like the plan I'd expected. It doesn't look like you're moving the way that I thought you would act. I didn't expect that you would move this way in my life. And, and in other words, Jesus, you're not meeting my expectations is kind of what we're saying. Is that okay to preach like this in church? Is it okay if we preach real kind of stuff? And so the question becomes, what do you do when God doesn't act the way you expect? What do you do when you put your faith in Jesus, yet you're struggling to find a job? What do you do when your current circumstance causes you to question your very conviction? And this is actually where the devil does his work. This is where the devil loves to go to work. You know, we remember when we read in Luke 4 in this series, week 2, I believe it was, we, we saw that the devil tempted Jesus. And in fact, in Luke 4, it says that he tempted him three times. And after the third time, it says that the devil left for the next opportune time. And that's how the devil works. He looks for opportunity. He, he, sometimes we blame him for the circumstance, but, 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 but you've got to be careful how much credit you give the devil because, because we give him credit for so much. And because we give him credit for everything, all of a sudden the power he has in our world has escalated more than what he really has simply because we've been giving him credit for everything. We're giving him credit for all kinds of things. But what the devil does is he waits for the opportunity. He looks for the circumstance. He he loves the opportunity. He, he comes at Jesus and tempts him and it says he left and waited for the opportunity. And, and so often we, we give him plenty of opportunity. Don't you get me wrong? He, we, we, we blame him for all kinds of things. We, we blame him for, for parking violations to presidential elections. We, we, we blame him for all sorts of things. We say the devil's at me again, but, but the devil's simply waiting for the opportunities that we present him. Sometimes it's your dumb decision too. Can I just say that? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbour. Don't worry. But sometimes we kind of get ourselves in a spot and we blame the devil. But you took the loan. Oh, is that too real to preach? I don't know. I don't know where to come in at today. I'm just like, am I, am I coming in a little too deep? A little ouch? Okay. But we blame the devil. The devil's got me. The devil's in my finances. The devil's... No, 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 no. Sometimes the devil was just waiting for the opportunity that we present them all the time. And so what we see here in Scripture is that the Bible says he waits for the opportune time. And, and we chalk so much up to the devil. We, we chalk everything up to the devil, giving him more power than he has. 
more power than he has. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that the Bible doesn't indicate that the devil does not have power. The Bible says that he does. But, but I am trying to suggest and I am trying to paint the picture that the devil is not powerless yet. What you have is the upper hand. Because 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he that is against you. Greater is he who is in you. Greater. So, so there is an advantage to what you have. Yeah, he has power, but you have more when you have Christ in you. When you have Christ in you. And that is in many ways the premise of this whole series is to help you put in perspective the power you have over the enemy. So you do know. So you don't know. Therefore, one of the key components to this power in life is Christ in you. Christ in you. And my goal is, in many ways, as the pastor of this church, is to build robust believers. That's what I really want to do. I want to build strong believers. I want to build strong followers of uh, of Jesus Christ, to people who know who they are in Christ, people who are sure of their identity. That's why we called our kids ministry Royal Kids. So that if they know anything after going through kids ministry at Vive Church, they will know whose they are. They will know that they are royal, that they are a son of the Most High God, a daughter of the Most High King, that they would just they won't question their identity. No high school teenager can cause them to question their identity because they know. They know. And I go to different kinds of conferences, seminars, church stuff. And I was in one one time where I didn't know this was the premise of the conference, but the whole conversation at the conference was how to make church more comfortable for people. And I thought they were joking at first, but that was serious. You know, they had all these plans about how to follow people up and and it's all good stuff. You know what I mean? Like they're like, you know, follow people up for 42 weeks. I'm like, are you serious? Okay, okay. And, and it kind of got me thinking, while that stuff's kind of good, at the same time, what's, what's way better is having strong believers who are connected to their calling rather than being comfortable in a church. And that's the kind of church we're trying to create. Not that we're trying to make this uncomfortable. We hope you're comfortable. But at the same time, I want you to be challenged because more than your happiness, I care about your purpose. More than your, your comfortability, I feel, I feel more important about your calling. And I want to connect you to that so that you're robust in your faith. So you're robust in your faith. And what I do know is that what often can cause people to question their calling is the current circumstance. What can cause you to question your purpose is temporary pain. One of the best illustrations of this is actually in Acts chapter 16. What we find here is the Apostle Paul, we we find him being led by the Spirit into Macedonia. The Bible says that he had a vision and he saw a man from Macedonia calling him so he considered and surmised that this must be God. So he went that way and he is traveling with, with Silas and Timothy. And as they're on their way, they begin ministering in a, in a city called Philippi. And the Bible describes that every time he began to preach, every time he began to minister was a, a little girl filled with an with a, with a evil spirit, in fact, who began to hinder him and began to haggle him. And every time he'd go to preach the gospel, the evil spirit would cry out, this is none other than the servant of the Most High God. I mean, imagine that kind of heckling. Like, okay, thank you. You know what I mean? Listen to her, you know. But, but the Bible says that it annoyed Paul so much and vexed him so much that one day as he's trying to preach, the evil spirit's harassing him again. So he turned to the evil spirit and rebuked the evil spirit, cast it out of the girl, setting the girl free in an instant. 
But then the Bible says that the, the master or the owner of the little girl was not happy at the fact that his prophet was going to be lost from her fortune telling, that he rallied the whole city to capture Paul and Silas. And the Bible says that they were beaten and thrown in prison. Here we've got another prison situation. Like you've got John the Baptist in prison. And at the same time, you've got, you've got Paul and Silas in prison. But what's important is the perspective. What's important is the place, the, the, the place that they see things from. Because in Acts chapter 16, and verse 25, we, we kind of see Paul's perspective. After they've been beaten, they're placed in prison. And it says this, at around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Remember, they'd just been beaten. Okay. Within an inch of their life, they were barely alive still probably bleeding out, they hadn't been cleaned up yet, still sitting in their own wounds and chains on. They were locked in the inner dungeon as, just to make sure there was no risk of them escaping. And as they're locked in shackles in the darkness of the dungeon, they, they find themselves at the darkest hour of the night. The Bible says they were praying. Not only were they praying, they were praising. It says they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains fell off every prisoner. Here there's an amazing passage all about perspective. Are you with me? It's a passage on perspective. It's a perspective of the circumstance because what the devil will hope to do in your life by taking the opportunities that sometimes we present Him or sometimes life presents. It's not always your doing, but sometimes it is. Sometimes life just happens. Sometimes situations take place. But needless to say, the enemy, he's, he's waiting for the opportunity. And circumstance happens and we've got a, a perspective that we get to play. John asked the question, are you the one? Unmet expectations. Different perspective. But here we've got Paul and Silas in a prison moment of their own. And instead of asking, God, where are you? They begin to praise in the midst of the prison. They begin to praise. They, they begin to sing praise. They, they realise the way they praise through will bring their breakthrough. They don't let their circumstance change their perspective. They put their perspective through their circumstance and they determine that I'm going to praise no matter what the circumstance because my circumstance does not change my conviction and my conviction says that in all circumstances I will praise my God. And it's amazing what takes place because what takes place if the Bible says that the chains fall off, the prison doors fling open and the prison guard wakes up to see that the chains are falling off and he, he doesn't see anyone. So the Bible says he takes his sword to kill himself because it was either he killed himself or the Romans killed him. Someone was going to kill him. So he said, I might as well do it myself. But just as he goes to draw his sword, Paul yells out, hey, stop. We're still here. Now, I don't know how you would be in that situation. If you were in prison, your chains fell off in the prison door. I don't know if you'd still be around. I know you. But Paul, he saw a higher purpose to being in prison. He didn't just look at his prison moment as a season that he had to endure. He said, surely if God has me here, then just maybe there's a purpose involved. And so he hangs around and he says to the prison guard, stop, we're here. The prison guard says, what do I have to do to be saved? 
Bible records that they lead him to Christ. And in fact, his whole family come to Christ and they were the first church members of the church in Philippi. God had a purpose in their pain. I'm not indicating that God caused the pain, but He certainly will use it. He'll use it because the enemy will use it. And what the enemy tries to do is he'll try to use circumstance to derail you. But God will use circumstance to direct you. If you let Him, if you let Him, to direct you towards the purpose that He has for you. We see this, how Jesus responds to John's unmet expectations. John sent him the, the message, are you the one or should we expect another? Still wondering about expectations. What should we expect, Jesus? And he says this, I love Jesus' response in Luke chapter 7, verse 21. It says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So we replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. Those who have had leprosy are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What Jesus was doing here is He was shifting John's perspective. See, John was still in the expectation or coming from the perspective that, that Jesus was going to overthrow the government. That, that's what the Messiah was going to do. That's what the one. But Jesus responds with what He's actually doing. He's, he's releasing captives. He's setting the blind in sight and He's, he's helping the lame to walk. He's, he's preaching the Gospel. In other words, He's changing His perspective off a temporary fix and onto an eternal kingdom. He's like, I'm not so much concerned with who's in government right now. I'm not concerned with maybe even who's sitting in the White House. I'm not so concerned with right now in 10 years from now, but my perspective is on eternity and I want to assure people's longevity. I want to assure where they spend eternity. So He was trying to shift John's perspective onto the purpose at hand. (laughs) See, the reason God doesn't act the way we expect has to do with our perspective. Everyone say perspective. Everyone say perspective. I gotta hurry. I gotta bring out my chair. Can you bring out my, my teaching aid for a moment? I, I felt like being a director this week. We've got the production happening. I thought I'd just share it with you. But 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 this is what often happens is what often happens is we get confused by the way God acts in our circumstances. Why didn't he act that way? And most of the time, the other perspective is is we've we've got devil in, in the director's chair. You know what I mean? Like we've got the devil sitting in the director's chair and he's orchestrating circumstances. He's, he's orchestrating our emotions. He's, he, that's why we get offended because, you know, he's causing offence to every situation. All of a sudden when there shouldn't be offence, we're getting offended because our emotions are getting out of control and he's directing our anger and he's directing our circumstances. And maybe we've got the devil directing our finances. You know, like all of a sudden a circumstance hits so we stop tithing because he, he tells us you should buckle down. No, no, he doesn't say give. He says hold tight. And so we've got the devil in the director's chair. And we wonder why God doesn't act the way we expect. Why didn't you act that way? Why didn't you break through? And I feel like the reason why God doesn't act the way we expect 
It's because God's not an actor in your story. Let me help you. God is not an actor in your play. He is not an actor in your production. He is not an actor in your story. In fact, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes. Talking about perspective, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, not the actor. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith for whom the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is not an actor. He is the author. He is the beginning. He is the end. He knows every scene and He knows what to do in every scene. He is not freaking out. He's in control and He says, would you kick the devil out of the director's chair? That director's chair belongs to you. What are you going to do with every circumstance? How are you going to change the perspective? Are you going to see it as temporary or are you going to see it as eternal? What you do with the circumstance dependent on you. Get yourself in the director's chair. Change the trajectory of your life. Change the direction right now. God is in control. He's in control. It says He's the author and the finisher. He knows the beginning from the end. The Bible says that He's seated. So you need to take a cue from Jesus. And the director's never nervous about the play because He can change every scene. He can determine if this is a victory or a defeat. So you can see your circumstances from the director's chair. Are those circumstances a defeat? Or am I choosing to sit back like Jesus is not pacing the hallways of heaven, nervous about the decisions you made, saying, what am I going to do now? Where's plan B? How am I going to change this? No, He's like, I know how to do this. I know I'm still with you. My grace is sufficient. I'm still God. I'm still seated in authority. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about Vive Church, for service times and locations, or if you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit us at vivechurch.org.